All right. Well, let's get into the Word of God. I'm going to make another attempt at finishing our series on the present day ministry of Jesus. This is the third week that I've tried to do part two. Um, and I don't take it back. I'm glad we had what we had and, and the move of the Spirit that, that we had. Um, so turn with me in your Bibles now to Hebrews chapter 9. We're talking about the present day ministry of Jesus. In Hebrews chapter 9, beginning in verse 12, it says, But Christ, being come a high priest of good things to come, by a greater and more perfect tabernacle, not made with hands, that is to say, not of this building, neither by the blood of goats and calves, but by his own blood he entered in once. Say once. once. He entered in once into the holy place, having obtained eternal redemption for us. Now, this is a description of Jesus when he entered into the heavenly temple, not made with hands, and took on the role for us as our high priest at the Father's right hand. Um, how many know Jesus' ministry did not end when he left the earth? Jesus took on a different ministry when he left the earth. Many people don't even realize this, but they know he came in a, in a flesh and blood and bone body. But they have somehow assumed that he no longer has that body. But he does. He, he is still flesh and bone. Remember when Jesus raised from the dead? And he appeared to the disciples and, um, and showed them that he was alive? And then the disciples went and told Thomas that Jesus was alive. He said, unless I see him, unless I feel the scars with my hands, I will not believe. Well, Jesus, a, a few days later, came in, walked through the door that was shut. This is what a glorified body can do. It can walk through doors that are closed. It can walk through walls. And then it, it has told, total dominion of the natural realm. It can walk through a closed door, but then it can command a chair to hold his weight. And he sat down and he digested the fish that he ate. It didn't fall through his body and land on the floor. But yet when he wanted to, he could walk through the door. Isn't that awesome? Isn't that cool? And so he stood up to Thomas. <laughs> you know, there was some little bit of attitude. And he said, he said, touch me, handle me. Thrust your hand into my side. What did he say? This is after he rose from the dead. He said, a spirit, we thought he became a spirit again. He, but, he, but Jesus said, a spirit has not flesh and bone as you see me have. And that's how he ascended. 40 days later when he ascended and the angel said, you know, why are you fearful? The angel said, as you saw him leave, so shall you see him come. Jesus is still in that flesh and bone body. Now, why don't we say flesh and blood? Because he already poured out all his blood and offered it up on the mercy seat of the true tabernacle in heaven. So most of, most of us, we would say flesh and blood. But when Jesus rose from the dead, he said, touch me, handle me. A spirit has not flesh and bone. He didn't have no more blood. It was already offered up on the mercy seat. Because he made two ascensions. After his resurrection, he went to the Father, offered the sacrifice. Because remember, he told Mary and John, he said, don't touch me. Don't touch me, didn't he? Why did he say don't touch me? Was, was he just being, uh, uh, you know, eccentric? <laughs> like, I'm beyond you touching me now, you know. No, it was because he had to offer himself as a perfect sacrifice without spot and without blemish untouched by human sinful hands, fallen hands. 
don't touch me. And why did he say don't touch me? Because I have not yet ascended to my father. So the day of his resurrection, he ascended up to the father, presented his blood as a sacrifice. That's what we read of right here in Hebrews chapter nine. And then he came back down and stayed 40 days in flesh and bone in a glorified body. And he said, man, he saw him. Isn't that, that's just awesome to me. So um, Jesus fulfills the role of our high priest now in the true tabernacle, not made with hands, in the holy of holies. Amen. And he only had to enter in once to obtain eternal redemption for our souls. You see, that's in contrast to the Old Testament priests, the men that God anointed to be priests in the Old Testament. They had to enter in every year continually, and all that could do was offer a temporary solution. But Jesus, with his blood, not the blood of bulls or goats or calves, but with his own blood, he entered in how many times? Once. And he obtained an eternal redemption for us. They had to enter in, the Old Testament priest had to enter in continually and only could obtain a temporary solution, a covering of our sin. Jesus, with his blood, entered in once and obtained an eternal redemption for us. Now, many people would think that, well, he fulfilled his high priest ministry now. He's no longer the high priest. He already fulfilled that role. But when you study the role of the high priest in the Old Covenant, you realize that they had more responsibilities than just offering up blood sacrifices. In other words, they didn't just work one day a year and get the whole rest of the year off. They had other roles that they had to perform. Okay? Now, um... Let's see, Hebrews, in Hebrews chapter 8, just go back one chapter. So I said that Jesus' ministry as our high priest did not end after he carried his blood into the holy place. That was one ministry of the high priest. But that wasn't the end of his high priestly ministry. The, the ministry of presenting the sacrifice for sin was once and for all. It was not to be done continually as the Old Testament priests had to do every year. But he's done with that ministry. But now he's continuing in the rest of the job description of what the high priest is supposed to do. And uh, that's what we're going to be looking at. Hopefully I can get through that today without rushing too much anyways. But I seem to have a good uh, unction on it, so I believe we'll get pretty far. Um, I appreciate you listening and pulling. Amen. It'll change the way you live your life and what you expect from God. Amen. It, it'll raise your faith to another level. I believe your faith will go to another level this morning just by the revelation and even being reminded of the things that Jesus is doing for us right now at the right hand of the Father. Do you believe that? Amen. So offering his blood as a sacrifice for sin, that was a once and for all ministry. It's done. But he also has a continual ministry as the minister of the heavenly sanctuary. You see, the priest in the Old Testament, once a year they offered up sacrifices for sin. But then they had a daily ministry um, that they uh, did within the, the sanctuary, the earthly sanctuary. So, you know, did you find Hebrews 8 now? Hebrews 8? I knew you did. I wasn't waiting on you to say yes. <laughs> yeah. Hebrews 8, beginning in verse 1, says, Now of the things which we have spoken, this is the sum. You just need to read the book of Hebrews if you haven't. Because you don't even know what he's spoken of 
what he's summarizing right now. But it's, it's all about him being our high priest. But everybody ought to just go and read the book of Hebrews. It won't even take you 30 minutes. And read it maybe out of the New Living Testament or something like that. And, uh, and get some insight into what the present day ministry of Jesus is all about. That's what the book of Hebrews is. is a revelation uh, looking into the present day ministry of Jesus. Now, some people want to argue about whether or not Paul wrote this, because the letter does not say this is from the Apostle Paul. And you got people on one hand who say Paul wrote it. You got people on the other hand who say, there's, you know, Paul didn't write it. Somebody else wrote it. Well, I'm of the persuasion that Paul did write it or whoever did was directly connected to Paul. And it definitely is Paul's revelation. So if Paul didn't share it, then someone who was close with Paul did write it because this is Paul's revelation that Jesus showed Paul where Paul said, I have not received this from any man. No flesh and blood has revealed this to me, but Jesus Christ appeared to me and showed this to me. So the things that are written in Paul's epistles, and when you read the book of Hebrews after studying the epistles of Paul, you realize that this is nothing less than Paul's revelation. So if Paul didn't write it, then someone very close to Paul did write it, and it is at least Paul's revelation. And if you really want to get down to it, the Holy Ghost wrote it. Amen. But, I'm, but people want to argue about who wrote it and they're not entering into the promises and the high priest ministry that Jesus has provided for them today. They just want to argue and talk about, um, you know, who wrote it or not. Okay. Well, we're not getting into that. We want the life of it. Amen. <laughs> Praise God. And so um, Hebrews 8, 1 says, Now of the things which we have spoken, this is the sum. We have such a high priest who was set on the right hand of the throne of the majesty in the heavens. Now, the book of Hebrews was written years after Jesus ascended. The book of Hebrews was written years after the events of the book of Acts that we read about. And yet he says, we have now, present tense, we have such a high priest who is set on the right hand of the throne of the, of the majesty in the heavens, a minister of the sanctuary and of the true tabernacle, which the Lord pitched and not man. Look at verse 3. This is what I want you to see. For every high priest that is in the Old Covenant, every high priest is ordained to offer gifts and sacrifices. Say gifts and sacrifices. So their priestly ministry involved more than just offering up sacrifices, but their priestly ministry also involved offering up gifts. Amen. It says, wherefore, Paul said rather, wherefore it is of necessity that this man, who, who do you think he's talking about this man? That's Jesus. Wherefore, since these old covenant priests offered up gifts and sacrifices, it is also of necessity that this man have somewhat also to offer. So what this is telling us right here is that right now Jesus is our high priest at the right hand of the Father, he is offering up things to God for us. What is it that he's offering up? I believe there's many things, but let's look at just one of them that's the top of the list for me. Now, um, before we do that, let me read to you out of the Bible in basic English, the BBE. It says, now every high priest is given authority to take to God the things which are given and to make offerings so that it is necessary um, for this man like them to have something for an offering. So we're seeing here that Jesus has other roles in his high priest ministry other than offering up the, the sacrifice for sin, right? 
Now, what is Jesus now offering up to the Father? He's already offered up his blood. But what is it then that he's offering up to the Father? What Jesus is offering up to the Father now is our prayers and our worship. And it's through his name. Amen. Um, Kenneth Hagin said this. I love this quote. He said, we do not always know how to worship him or to pray as we should. How many of you ever been there? We do not always know how to worship him or to pray as we should, but he takes our off-time crude petitions and worship and makes them beautiful to the Father. Glory to God. Glory to God. Jesus takes our often crude worship and petitions and makes them beautiful to the Father. Amen. How many has ever prayed and the enemy said to you, you need to reword that? Like the Lord didn't know what you were saying. <laughs> well, I, I got a revelation a long time ago, and I made the, de the determination, the quality decision to never repeat a prayer that came out of my mouth out of insecurity that maybe I stuttered, I didn't say it just right, and the enemy says, you, you need to get that right. I mean, I, I made the quality decision. I am not repeating no more prayers. I'm by faith believing God knows what I'm talking about. <laughs> and if God doesn't know what I'm talking about, I got bigger problems than this thing I'm even talking to him about right now. I'm in a whole heap of mess. And if I have to explain to God what I meant, we're in big trouble. <laughs> if I think I have to explain to God, we're in big trouble. So, so we do not always know how to worship him or to pray as we should, but he takes our off-time crude petitions and worship and makes them beautiful to the Father. And these holy things that Jesus is offering to the Father are our spiritual sacrifices, which Jesus makes acceptable to the Father. Now, every prayer and every worship is accepted by the Father when it is presented in the name of Jesus. That's what makes it acceptable. When you come to the Father in the name of Jesus, that means that the past is handed off to Jesus and he runs it into the throne room. Glory to God. And he stands there on your and our behalf. As if you were the one there making those petitions. And Jesus said in the word, the Father always hears me. So when Jesus goes into the Father's throne room with your petition in his name, God grants the request as if it was Jesus himself making the request. Because it's in his name. That's what he's doing right now, all the time, on our behalf. Now, his high priest's ministry is limited to our confession of faith. He can only be to us what we, number one, believe him to be and what we confess him to be. That's the reason why it says we have a high priest that's entered into the, the heavenlies, a temple not made with hands. And it says, it says, therefore, hold fast the confession of your faith without wavering. So it's, it's bringing a direct connection between Jesus' high priest ministry and our confession of faith. Now, look with me back in Hebrews chapter 2, and I'm going to read this out of the Living Bible. 
Hebrews 2.16 says, We all know he did not come as an angel, but as a human being. And it was necessary for Jesus to be like us, his brothers, so that he could be our merciful and faithful high priest to God. Did, did you notice that it said, and it was necessary for Jesus to be like us, his brothers? Have you ever, when's the last time you thought about Jesus being your brother? We know he's Lord. We know he's Christ. But this morning I prayed this. I said, elder brother. <laughs> See, the big brother, he's, he's going to take care of you. He ain't going to let nobody mess with you. He ain't going to let nobody steal from you. Amen. He ain't going to let nobody, you know, uh, uh, trick you, deceive you. Amen. And I was just, you know, not praying, not making petition to Jesus, but I was worshiping him. And I called him elder brother. Amen. Big brother. <laughs> Jesus is the big brother. Amen. Glory to God. And so, uh, well, the Bible says he's the firstborn of many brethren in Hebrews. That's the brethren and sistren that you are. Amen. He's your brother. Amen. And so uh, it was necessary for Jesus to be, uh, uh, to be like us, his brothers, so that he could be our merciful and faithful high priest before God. Now, why was it necessary for Jesus to be a merciful and faithful high priest, why was it necessary for him to become like us in all respects? Why couldn't he just be a merciful and faithful high priest? Jesus had to understand and by firsthand knowledge know what you and I suffer and what we go through on a day-to-day -day basis. He has to know firsthand what it feels like to be tempted of everything and anything. And what made him merciful and faithful is that he overcame those temptations and never yielded to them. Now, he was not God in his deity powers down here resisting the devil. He wouldn't have to put that in the Bible. I know that the devil cannot tempt God. But when he was down here being tempted sorely of the devil in all like manner as we are, he was tempted as a man free from sin, anointed and filled with the Holy Ghost. He was here as our example of what we could do and what we can expect, the victory we can expect when we are free from sin by his blood and anointed and filled with the Holy Spirit too. He is our example so that he can say, look at me. If I can overcome the devil, he's saying, you can overcome the devil. Greater is he that's in you than he that's within the world. And this is the victory that overcomes the world, even our faith. Amen. So if Jesus can do it, you can do it. And that qualified him to be the merciful. Why is he merciful? Because, man, he knows how tough it is at times. So he's going to be patient with us. Where other people would have thrown us away, given up on us, unfriended us, right? Jesus is merciful. He knows the pain. See, I love something Pastor Mark said one time. He said, don't make a 30-day judgment of someone when you don't know the 30-year story. See, we see people in their life doing things wrong, and we make this judgment. Sometimes people will say, I, I would never do that if, if I was in their situation. But if you had been in their shoes, you might do worse than they did. So I agree with me. Yeah, I agree with you. Yeah, maybe you wouldn't have done what they did. You, you might have done worse. <laughs> so don't make a 30-day judgment on people when you just don't know the 30-year story and what they've been through what they've overcome, amen. 
See, it's, it's, it's our sins are the small ones and, and, and their sins are the big ones. That's how the enemy works in our minds and the flesh. But what makes Jesus a merciful high priest is that he knows exactly what we're going through and that's why he can hold on and that's why it says that a thousand years with the Lord is like one day. See, when we're ready to give up on someone, we're saying, Lord, aren't you gonna judge them yet? You know, I think that there are some preachers who probably don't have no business preaching. They need to go and just get out of ministry or repent, get their heart right. But there are some ministers I think would be happy if America failed. If America bankrupt, I think there are some preachers that would be happy because then they would be able to say, see, I told you so. I told you doom was coming. I told you judgment was coming and all y'all preachers kept saying God's blessing America, God's blessing America, God's blessing America. I told you so. There are some people that would be happy if America went under. That's not the right heart. Now, do I believe we're in some trouble? Yes, I do. But I believe we're coming out of it. Amen. And I don't believe that this has to be the, the end for America. I believe the church has gotten a, a woke up to a great extent. And if we continue with that, I believe we'll see a restoration in our nation. That doesn't mean I'm ignoring the problems. But I'm not going to go as far as to say, that's it. See, because when man says that's it, God didn't even know there was a problem yet in regards to his judgment. We're in the age of grace. What's happening in the world today is not judgment in a sense. It's consequences for wrong actions. And that's enough. That'll cause big problems. But it's not God sending the locust and the hail and the, and the, and the uh, tsunamis and, you know, blowing the wind, blowing the ocean and destroying islands. And No, the Bible says that the earth groans in travail because of the sin and the wickedness that's in the world. Did you know that the sins of the people have an effect on this planet? And yet people are more worried about the ozone and smog and plastic bottles. Your sin, that's destroying this world. That is what the earth cannot bear. That's what the earth is trembling over. It's the, it's the blindedness, the overall acceptance of the world, just moving with the society and the times. We've got to be able to know how to stand for truth and yet still truly love and be merciful. Amen. Glory to God. So I'm not preaching against people. I'm preaching a, a, against a spirit. Amen. And sometimes when I'm preaching, I'm not just talking to you. I'm talking to those principalities and powers that are trying to gain control over our place, over our community, over our city, over our state, and over our nation in the name of Jesus. Sometimes when I'm preaching, I'm just serving notice. Amen. And I'm not going to be one of those doomsday preachers that say it's over for America. It does not take faith to say it's over. All you got to do is lay down and give up and quit to have what you say comes to pass then. But if you want real change, you're going to have to stand up in the midst when it don't look like it can change. When nothing good can come out of America, you got to be able to stand up and say God can save America. Amen. Glory to God. So Jesus is merciful. A thousand years to him is like one day when it comes to waiting on people to get right, to change, to make the right decisions. Um, I mean, check this out. Jesus said that we're to forgive people. How many times a day was that? 
70 times, 490 times a day for the same offense. That's not 490 different things. That's for the same offense. 490 times a day, he said, you're supposed to forgive. Well, there in Peter, it says that a thousand years, we got 365 days in a year, times that by a thousand, times that times 490, and that's how many times, that's how patient God is with you. And then let me add this to you. The Bible says that God takes our sin and he casts it into the sea. So God doesn't see it as one sin, two sin, three sin. He sees it as one sin, one sin, one sin, one sin, because he's not keeping count. Amen. Now, we want him to be that patient with us, but we want him to judge someone else. And we say, well, but God knows my heart. <laughs> yeah, he does. That ugly thing, you know. <laughs> now, I'm not talking about you. I'm just talking about those people you're thinking about. All right. Brother Hagin taught this, and you can see throughout the scripture, that God judges sins of the heart quicker than he will sins of the flesh. Because the person who's sinning in their heart is trying to be deceptive and hiding. They want their sin, yet they want, they want the appearance of godliness. It has no power. Okay, that, That's a person who's being deceptive, but a person who has sin in the flesh that struggles. It's the things they say, oh, God, help me. I mean, you know, that, that's a person that God can work with. That's a person that Jesus will eat lunch with. But the person who's got the sins going on in their heart, that's the one he calls brood of vipers. You're of your father, the devil. You're a white sepulcher, beautiful on the outside. On the inside, you're full of dead men's bones. But to the woman caught in the act of adultery, Jesus was merciful to her. And he said, woman, where are your accusers? She said, there are none, Lord, because she knew he sure enough wasn't one. He said, neither do I condemn you. He said, go and sin no more, didn't he? Neither do I condemn you, go and sin no more. That is the true, complete message of grace. Neither do I condemn you, go and sin no more. But people today think the message of grace is just, neither do I condemn you, do what you want to do. But the Bible says that Jesus, when he came, he was full of two things, not just one thing. He was full of grace and truth. Say grace and truth. So yes, he's full of grace. That means he's merciful. He's patient towards us when we're disobedient and not following his plan for our lives. But that doesn't mean that he compromises the truth because of our disobedience, because of his grace. His grace never compromises his truth. He's full of both grace and truth. Amen. That's why he told the woman caught in the act of adultery, neither do I condemn you. That was grace. Then he said, go and sin no more. See, that was the truth. And Jesus said, you shall know the truth. He didn't say, the grace shall come on you and you'll be made free. No, he said, you shall know the truth. The truth is what makes you free. The grace is what covers you. The truth will take you into your destiny. The truth will take you into your future. Now, grace will take you in there. You understand what I'm saying? But you need more than just God's lovey-doveyness to get you into your destiny. You need God's truth. There's some things about you that have to change in your life so that you can get in that place that God has for you. So he's merciful and faithful to God in dealing with the sins of the people. That's Hebrews 2, verse 17. I'm reading this out of the Living Bible. He's both merciful to us and faithful to God in dealing with the sins of the people. We can trust Jesus with our sin. It says, for sin 
since he himself has now been through suffering and temptation, he knows what it's like when we suffer and are tempted, and he is wonderfully able to help us. Can we look at that in the, in the Amplified? It says, For because he himself, in his humanity, has suffered in being tempted, tested, and tried, he is able immediately to run to the cry of assist and relieve those who are being tempted and tested and tried and who therefore are being exposed to suffering. I love that. It says he is able to immediately run to the cry of those who are being tempted and tested and tried. Amen. And being exposed to suffering. And I love the Living Bible. It says he is wonderfully able to help us. That means I can't even describe to you how wonderful it is. You just have to wait and see when he does something for you and you'll know what I'm talking about. He is wonderfully able to help us. Now, how is he wonderfully able to help us? Go up two chapters to Hebrews chapter 4. How is he wonderfully able to help us? Hebrews 4.15 from the Amplified says, For we do not have a high priest who is unable to understand and sympathize and have a shared feeling with our weaknesses and infirmities and liability to the assaults of temptation, but one who has been tempted in every respect as we are, yet without sin. You see, Jesus died as a lamb for our redemption, but he arose as the merciful and faithful high priest of our redemption. He died as a lamb for it. He arose as the high priest of it. So there's four major roles of Jesus as our high priest. Number one, he's our advocate. Number two, he's our mediator. And number three, he's our intercessor. And four, he's the great shepherd. All right. Now let's look at Jesus Christ, our advocate. First John chapter two, verses one and two. It says, my little children, these things write I unto you that ye sin not. That's good advice, isn't it? It says, And if any man sin, we have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ, the righteous. I love the message translation. It says, If any man has sinned, we have an advocate, a priest friend. Isn't that good? The priest is your friend. Not only is he just our priest doing his duties, he's our friend. Amen. You got favor in that throne room. Praise God. Now, the word advocate, Jesus being our advocate, the word advocate means lawyer or one who pleads our case. When the believer falls into temptation of Satan, the believer can claim the promise of 1 John 1 9. We talked a lot about that. They can claim the promise of 1 John 1 9 and confess their sins to the Father. Jesus, then, as our advocate, restores to us our lost sense of righteousness. That's his responsibility as our advocate, high priest, and our friend is to restore to us our, he doesn't restore our righteousness. You don't lose your righteousness, you understand? If you ever lost your righteousness, you lost your salvation. And that ain't going to happen either. Most likely it ain't going to happen. That's another message for another day. Don't you, if you're worried about maybe did I lose my salvation, um, get over it. You haven't because if you did, you wouldn't care because it's the spirit that leads and draws men to repentance. So if you care, he's leading you. So just quit that right now. Amen. Now, and, and if that's not for you, you know somebody struggling with that. That's how you can instruct them. Amen. So um, <clears throat> Jesus as our advocate, when we confess our sin, according to 1 John 1, 9, it says he's faithful and just to forgive us of our sins and cleanse us of all unrighteousness. So 
that's what happens as a result of Jesus being our advocate high priest. He restores to us our lost sense of righteousness. He cleanses us from the guilt and the shame that sin produces and the guilt and shame that keeps us from coming to God. Okay? A lot of the condemnation we sense, really all the condemnation we sense is not from God. None of it's from God. He's not stiff-arming us. It's our own guilty conscience that keeps us from coming into His presence because we know that sin does not belong with righteousness. And when we have that unconfessed sin, that, that, that consciousness that, that's uncleansed, we're intimidated to go into the presence of God and it will hinder our relationship with Him, which is what the Bible refers to as lost fellowship. We're not losing our relationship, we're losing our fellowship, our intimacy, which keeps us from receiving daily from Him the things that we need. Sin will keep you from going into the presence of God and it will keep you from being able to receive fresh feelings from the Holy Spirit that you need daily. See, David had overcome a sin consciousness and he said, I shall be anointed with fresh oil. He didn't say, I hope. Maybe. I'm going to try. I know I'm not worthy, but maybe he'll touch me with his, his anointing. You know? No, he said, I shall be anointed with fresh oil. The Lord anoints my head with oil. My cup runs over. Not only am I full, my cup is running over. Amen. Did he say that because he was so righteous? No, he he said that because he knew that that Jesus was not imputing his sins against him. Oh, excuse me, that the Father was not imputing his sins against him. Glory to God. Now, the Old Testament, all they got was their sins covered. And if we can be that bold with a covered sin, how much more bold should we be with a, a blotted out sin, a sin that's been obliterated that doesn't even exist anymore? You see, in the Old Testament, God blotted out the sin. We read that in the book of Isaiah. But in the New Testament, in the book of Colossians, we read that God not only blots out the sin, He blots out the note that it was written on. So there's, not only does it show debt paid, there is no evidence that there ever was a debt. The Lord showed this to me one time. I remember it was years ago right here in this church on a Sunday morning. And I was preaching this very same thing. And he said, I don't even know who you are before you came to Christ. And the scripture that came up was when Jesus said, many shall come to me in that day saying, Lord, did we not do this in your name? Did we not do that? And what did he say? Depart from me, you workers of iniquity. What? That was bad news to them, but that can be good news to you if you are saved. (laughs) You just don't want to die with him having never known you. But if you give your life to Christ, you're a new creature in Christ Jesus. Old things passed away. What do we say when someone's died? They did what? They passed away. Old things have passed away. And all things, all things, all things have become brand new. And so God no longer, he does not even know you as a sinner. He never knew you as a sinner. Amen. Because he told them people, he said, I never knew you. Amen. That was bad news for them, you understand, because they never did get it right. They never did get born again. But if you've been born again, him never knowing you as a sinner is the best news you'll ever get. It'll cleanse you from a guilty conscience. You'll quit cowering and being ashamed of the sins of your past, and you'll start walking bold and tall and strong because you know you're in Christ. Amen? And you have been made the very righteousness of God in him. Amen? Amen. Say, God never knew me. 
as a sinner. Praise God. The same rules apply. When you sin as a believer and you confess that sin, it's gone. Amen. It's gone. Glory to God. Jesus Christ is our intercessor. He's our advocate. Hebrews 7 verse 25 says that he is able to save them to the uttermost that come unto God by him, seeing he ever lives to make intercession for them. We have Jesus Christ as our mediator. This is another office he fills today, and that's the office of mediator, the mediator between God and man. Jesus said in John 14, 6, I am the way, the truth, and the life. So Christ is the only way to God. That means he is not a mediator. He is the mediator, okay? People talking about they find their own paths and their own roads, you know, to heaven. No, 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 they don't. Jesus said, I am the way, I am the truth, and I am the life. Peter said in Acts chapter 4, verse 12, he said, Neither is there salvation in any other. For there is none other name under heaven given among men whereby we must be saved. Now, the early church was often called the way. Did you know that? The way. Um, let's look at a few scriptures found in the book of Acts where the church is called the way. Acts chapter 9, verse 2 says, This scripture refers to Saul of Tarsus, who had letters in his possession from the authorities, giving him the power to arrest any persons he found who were members of the way. And then in Acts chapter 19, verse 9, it says, But when some were hardened and disobedient, they spoke evil of that way. Verse 23, And the same time there arose no small stir about that way. Acts 24, verse 14 says, But this I confess unto thee, that after the way which they call heresy, so worship I the God of my fathers, believing all things which are written in the law and in the prophets. Acts 24, verse 22, it says, And when Felix heard these things, having more perfect knowledge of that way, he deferred them and said, When Lysias, the chief captain, shall come down, I will know the utmost of your matter. Even devils called it the way. In Acts chapter 16, verse 17, it says, The same followed Paul and us and cried, saying, These men are the servants of the Most High God, which show unto us the way of salvation. So not only is Christ the Lord High Priest, He is also the intercessor and mediator, the only way that the sinner can get to God. Amen? In Isaiah 53, verse 12, it says, He has poured out His soul unto death, and He has been numbered with the transgressors. And he bare the sins of many and made intercession for the transgressors. Now, when we come through Christ, we are guaranteed to get the ear of God because he is our intercessor. In Romans 8, 34, it says, Who is he that condemneth? It's Christ that died, yea, rather that's risen again, who is even at the right hand of God, who also makes intercession for us. Praise God. So Jesus is the way. The way for being saved, being made whole, the way for healing, the way for the baptism of the Holy Ghost, the way to get our needs met and receiving all answers to our prayers. We read there in Hebrews, he's able to save to the uttermost. That word save is the Greek word sozo, which in many other places in the New Testament is translated healed, whole, delivered. And so he is able to heal to the uttermost. He is able to prosper to the uttermost. Amen. He's able to help in any and all areas to the uttermost. Those that call on him. Now we have finally Jesus as our shepherd. 
We've seen him as our high priest, advocate, mediator, and intercessor. He has another ministry as high priest as well, and that is as the Lord and head of the church, the great shepherd. David prophesied of him in Psalm 23. Uh, he said, the Lord is my shepherd. I shall not want. And then Jesus himself in John 10, 14 said, I am the good shepherd. Now, the 22nd Psalm contains a prophecy of Jesus' death. The 23rd Psalm is a prophecy of him as the good shepherd. In the 24th Psalm, we have a prophecy concerning the fact that Jesus is the coming King of kings and Lord of lords. Now, where are we? We are living right now in the 23rd Psalm, the Lord is our shepherd. It belongs to us now, everything in that Psalm. It's more than just a beautiful passage of Scripture that we read at funerals. David was prophesying when he said, the Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. I like to say it this way, the Lord is my shepherd, I do not want. If I shall not want, I do not want. Amen. Praise God. This means that you as a Christian are an absolute overcomer in life. Praise God. It means that poverty, want, and need are a thing of the past. Glory to God. In Philippians 4.19, it says, But my God shall supply all your need according to his riches and glory by Christ Jesus. That's our good shepherd, our advocate, our mediator, our intercessor. Glory to God. That's why your needs are supplied is because he is fulfilling all these roles for you and I as the high priest. Amen. Of the true tabernacle. In the real holy place. Praise God. Not God in a box, but God on a throne. Glory to God. Hallelujah. Glory to God. Some of y'all get that. <laughs> Praise God. He's not in that ark covenant anymore. Amen. How many have seen Indiana Jones where they opened up that box and they all started melting like wax figures? Did you ever see that? That was the coolest. I love Indiana Jones. But did you know that that is so untrue? The thing that caused people to die in the Old Testament when they touched that Ark Covenant was not the Ark itself. I'm not talking about Noah's Ark. Are y'all, are y'all, we're talking about that Ark Covenant with those cherubim on top of it and the, the Ten Commandments, you know, and the presence of God was in there. What caused people to die when they touched that in the Old Testament was not the Ark itself. It was the presence of God that was inside that Ark. But God's no longer living on the inside of that Ark. If we ever did find it, supposing it's here. You wouldn't have to stand back afraid to touch the ark like the men and women were in the Old Testament. You could walk right up to that thing, pick it up underneath your arms and walk off with that thing. Look inside of it all you want to. <laughs> Amen. You see, because we have something much better, we don't have a God that lives in a box. We have a God that lives on the inside of us. And if a God in the box would kill me, uh, sure enough, the one inside me would. Why didn't the one inside me kill me? Because I've been made a new creature. I got a new wine skin. Hallelujah. Glory to God. You don't put new wine in old wine skins, Jesus said. So he made us able to contain the presence of God. Amen. When he gave us new life in him. Glory to God. Um, your heavenly father knows your needs. Philippians 4.19, my God supplies all your need. Um, we see this demonstrated when he was on the earth, feeding the multitudes, giving the disciples a great catch of fish, sinking their boats with it. I had to get help to bring it in, turning water into wine, healing the sick. He met every need of man. Amen. Just as we trust Christ to be our mediator, our intercessor, our advocate before the heavenly father, we also should trust him as our shepherd, our keeper, the supplier of all our needs and the giver of life more abundantly. Praise God. He's still giving that life. 
it's still flowing out of him. It's not like what he did when he rose from the dead and he's done. He, that life is still flowing out of him today. You can receive of it. Amen? Praise God. Why don't we lift our hands and just receive of that life abundantly right now in the name of Jesus. Glory to God. Father, we thank you for your life. We praise you for that life more abundantly that you said you came to give. Glory to God. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. The high priestly ministry of Jesus meets every need of the believer throughout his or her life. Glory to God. Praise God. Praise God. Praise God. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. All right, now let me, let me get to this. Christ has commissioned us to proclaim this message of redemption louder and louder and louder, telling others of this abundant life that God has provided. Praise God. It's up to us to tell the world. How else will they know? The world cannot know it if we remain silent. See, Christ wants us to tell the sinner that he has been liberated. Praise God. That God is not holding his sins against him any longer. That Christ took man's sinful nature upon himself. That's what the world needs to know. They don't need to be beat up about their sins, their wrongs doing. They already know about that. They need to know Jesus is that answer. In 2 Corinthians 5, 17 and 18, we, we read the first verse. Therefore, if any man be in Christ, he's a new creature. Old things are passed away. Behold, all things are become new. And all things are of God who has given to us the ministry of condemnation. <laughs> no, he's given unto us the ministry of reconciliation. Amen. Telling the world they're going to hell and God's going to judge them. That's not re too reconciling. We need to be talking to people like we believe that they want what we have to tell them. Amen? Because that's what God did for us. Now, this is the ministry that Christ has given us, the ministry of reconciliation. And verse 19, it continues, To wit, that God was in Christ, reconciling the world unto himself, not imputing their trespasses unto them, and has committed unto us that same word of reconciliation. So Christ is no longer interested in holding man's sins against him. Christ is interested in drawing men unto himself. Praise God. The Amplified Bible in 2 Corinthians 5.19 reads, It was God personally present in Christ, reconciling and restoring the world to favor with himself not counting up and holding against men their trespasses but canceling them and committing to us the message of reconciliation of the restoration of favor praise God so the sinner does not need to think that God is mad at him or that God is against him any longer the sin that sends a man to hell is not an act or a deed such as lying stealing or cheating it is the rejection of the Lord Jesus Christ. That is the one and only sin left that will keep a man or a woman out of heaven. Not their acts of sin. It will be their rejection of receiving Jesus as the Lord and the Savior of their life. In John 16, verse 7 through 9, Jesus said, Nevertheless, I tell you the truth, it is better for you that I go away. For if I go not away, the Comforter will not come unto you. But if I depart, I will send him unto you. And when he has come, he will reprove the world of sin and of righteousness and of judgment. And then he says the reason why he's going to be reproving the world of sin is because they believe not on me. It did not say he's going to reprove the world of sin because they are gambling. Because they are cheating on their taxes. Because they're committing adultery. Because they're uh, selling drugs. Come on. No. No. Why is the Holy Spirit going to reprove the world of sin? Of what sin? Because they believe not on me. 
what that's saying is that because Jesus already bore in his own body the curse for sin and the wrath of God for sin, there's none left for us to bear. If God judged us for our acts of sin, then he did Jesus an unjust service by laying those sins and the consequences on him at the cross. We don't both need to bear them. So it's the consequences, you see. The thing that's keeping men out of heaven is not their, their sinful acts. It's the rejection of Jesus who bore the consequences and the wrath for all those sins upon himself. So there is no more acts to deal with. Jesus already dealt with them. Praise God. I hope that after this morning you have a fuller, more complete picture of just who Jesus is. You see, many denominations, they want to study the life of Jesus in the earth. But we are not getting the New Testament revelation of his ministry just by reading the four Gospels. You've got to move on into Paul's revelation to see what I'm talking to you about. And that's what we've been doing, you know, when we've uh, endeavored to talk about the, the, the present ministry of Jesus Christ right now today at the right hand of the Father. Amen. And so, every man has a right to know of Christ's saving grace. Every man has a right to know that Christ will meet all of their needs. That Christ will be his high priest. Christ will be their advocate, mediator, intercessor, and great shepherd. Glory to God. Aren't you thankful for Jesus? Let's lift our hands one more time and praise God. Thank you, Father, for Jesus, our high priest, our advocate, our mediator. Our good shepherd, praise God, praise God. You're so good. Thank you, Lord. Expect your faith to soar beginning today. Expect your faith. <laughs> so expect your faith to rise and to increase and go from one level to the next. Because of a result of this revelation, faith comes by revelation and revelation comes by meditation. And as you have heard the word today, saith the Spirit of God, your faith will go to another level and has already begun to climb. And you will go home and you will see that things have already begun to change. And But open your mouth and speak the word and begin to declare and begin to see a manifold increase in the results of the confession of your faith. Where you did not see results, you will see results. And where you've seen results, you will see more results. So don't hold back and do not cease from making your confessions of faith. Hold fast to the confession even of your faith and begin to see the high priest ministry of my son, your elder brother, begin to work in greater and more intimate ways in your life. Say it, the Spirit of God. Amen. Glory to you, Lord. <laughs> Praise God. Praise God. Do you believe it? Yes. Amen. See, when, when words like that are given, you don't always have to say it out loud, but you can just say, I believe that. I receive it now. It's mine. Amen. That's how you take it. Amen. It's not going to happen just because he said it. You got you to believe it and receive it. Amen. And put it in your mouth. See, you don't have what God says. You have what you say. It's not God's word in his mouth that gets it done in your life. It's God's word in your mouth that gets it done in your life. Hold fast the profession of your faith without wavering, for he is faithful that promises.